0: Welcome to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory Gouray, TJ Beter, and Kathy Garay. Each week, we talk about the connections between owners and their pets, with an emphasis on topics that apply to greyhounds. If you want to hear more about your best friend, stay tuned. Now, here are your hosts.
1: It's another fabulous Friday, and I'd like to welcome our listeners to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. TJ and Rory are not with us today, and as it is World Champagne Day, I obviously have other plans, so in the GMGP captain's chair today is resident guest host, John Parker, who will be chatting with our guests from the UK. We welcome back Greyhound historian and author. Charlie Blanning, who's always a pleasure to have with us and whose most recent book, The Greyhound and the Hare, is a must for every Greyhound lover's bookshelf. Also joining us is first time GMGP guest, retired executive director of the National Greyhound Association, Gary Guccione, who is also the author of seven books on Greyhound bloodlines and a pretty snazzy golfer. But before we get this party started, just a reminder that registration for the Solvang Gathering in picturesque Solvang, California is now open and the event will be held January 9th through 12th, 2020. Visit the Solvang Gathering's Facebook page for more info. And Sandy Paws, Great Fun in the Sun's 2020 dates are March 11th through March 15th, and the event will be held at Villas-by-the-Sea Conference Center on Dekyll Island in Georgia. It's a fantastic location and a perfect spot to celebrate my birthday. For infos and updates, visit their website at www.sandypaulis.org. <laughs> That's more than enough for me, and now I'm turning the mic over to John Hey, John, what have you got planned for our listeners today? Hi,
2: Kathy. Uh, We have a great show outlined for our listeners. Uh, This is a rare treat uh, to have two former keepers of greyhound stud books uh, in on the conversation today. We're going to be talking about their respective picks of the five greatest racing greyhounds in history. Charlie will cover... um, uh, ireland and england and uh, gary will cover the u.s and we're about to kick it off excellent so this is a rare treat for me gary and charlie uh, uh i've always said one of my fantasy conversations would be to have the two of you in one room uh and and just to talk about greyhounds until we just were exhausted so i'm delighted to have you here uh the second best thing is to have you by telephone. Uh, Charlie's calling in from the Exmoor in England, and Gary's calling in from uh, the NGA headquarters in Abilene, Kansas, USA, where he happens to be attending the NGA fall meet. So welcome to both of you.
3: Thanks, John.
2: Thank you, John. Good to hear you again, Charles. I yes, think
3: I should call, you, call you Sir Charles. Well, Gary. It's been, been far too long since we've um, had a word together.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Great to hear your voice.
2: So let's get right into it. And Gary, we said we'd have you uh, as the, we, uh, the coin toss winner, so to speak, since uh, sustained Greyhound racing actually started first in, in the U.S. Uh, we'll start with uh, Gary and then we'll go alternatively to um, Charlie and we'll go back and forth until we've finished discussing their five picks. So, Gary, let's let you lead um,
4: off. Well, wow, John, this was quite an interesting exercise in the uh, hustle and bustle of the fall meet here in Abilene, and uh, I spent some a couple hours late last night uh, uh, going over this, and then just an hour ago, I was at the Greyhound Hall of Fame and walked through uh, the Hall of Famers that have been inducted to see if I've missed anyone in particular, and actually did change my mind on one of my picks. This is really a difficult thing because it's so subjective, John, you know, with yes. uh, my picks are going to be different from other people's picks. Uh, and I think any of these great uh, classic uh, immortals could beat anyone else on any given day, like we see in some sports, such as golf, which Kathy alluded to, um, but uh, and I have a long list of my third group. I have a shorter list of my second group, and then I'm down to the final five. I don't know if you ever want me to touch upon all those others. If there's time, we could later. But my number five pick is a Greyhound uh, named Pease Rambling, owned by James W. Park. He was inducted into the Greyhound Hall of Fame in 1994. He uh, broke in at Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, as a puppin was not that fantastic, but boy, his second meet at Hollywood, he set the track and the world, Greyhound world on fire. He won virtually every stake race. He won 15 straight race, races. He broke his own record several times. His favorite distance was the three-eighths race. And I truly believe that his victory in the 1987 Hollywoodian was the most dramatic uh, greyhound race and Greyhound stake race that I have ever seen. Um, he won match races against the the or a match race against the Great Prince proper, and like I mentioned, he was in the Hall of Fame, inducted in
2: 1994. So Pease Rambling is my number. Peas Rambling, uh, and he had quite a number contribution to the breed at stud as well, didn't he, Gary? He
4: did. He shows up in some of the greyhounds. A greyhound that was inducted into the Greyhound Hall of Fame. Last night, Lonesome Cry is one of uh, the many descendants of Pease Rambling. Uh, Lonesome Cry was an excellent racer, but even a more influential sire in his day. He was sold for, I think, 14 or 15,000 at our NGA meet back in like, in the 80s or 90s and had over a million dollar in earnings, uh, when you count his sire career and his racing career. So yes, Pease Rambling has had an influence on our breed
2: here. That's great. That's tremendous. Uh, Charlie, let's go over to you and tell us about your number five.
3: Well, John, I'm going to approach it in a different way, I'm afraid, because I haven't ordered mine in any kind of preference. Um, what I've done is to, to start at the beginning and then much closer to the present day. Um, and my first choice is the legendary Mick the Miller, um, who if you stop people in the street... Um, in the the UK, even to this day, and said, name me a famous racing greyhound, nine out of ten of them would turn around and say, make the miller, Um, because he was the first great champion of the track over here. He won the Greyhound Derby twice, in 1929 and 1930, and he enjoyed what you can only call the adulation of, the the London racing crowds at the time. Uh, The race was staged at the White City, which had been a redundant Olympic stadium until Greyhound Racing settled there. And do you know that on final night, they used to have 100,000 people there, all yelling their heads off, and most of them yelling for Mick the Miller. Mick was brought over from Ireland um, by his breeder, who was a, a Roman Catholic priest called Father Brophy, and after the first time Mick had been around the White City, he had broken the track record and he was auctioned on the steps of the track and sold to someone called Albert Williams who paid 800 guineas for him. And in Albert Williams' name, he won his first derby. Uh, but the great thing about Mick was not just his racing record, which was amazing, um, he won Not only the the, the Derby twice, but he also won two other classics as well. It was his personality. People just loved him. And we're very fortunate in that in 1934, a couple of years after he'd retired, he was the star of a feature film called Wild Boy. So we can actually see what Mick was like. And he was just the most waggiest greyhound you ever came across. And there's a lovely moment in Wild Boy, he plays the part of Wild Boy, um, (laughs) when he's going to run in the the, the final of the Greyhound Derby in the film. And he walks past the traps and he lunges at the traps to try and get in. And this was two or three years after he'd retired from racing. He just loved, loved racing, and the crowds loved him. Um, And he's the dog here in the United Kingdom that none of us have ever forgotten.
2: Yeah, just an outstanding greyhound in so many ways, and the fact that the, he would he would uh, be amenable to being in a movie and directable is just truly amazing.
3: Oh, it's, you, if, if, if you can if you can see the film, you've got to watch it. it, 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 it it's a wonderful film in itself for anyone who likes vintage films. It, 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 it's terrific, and it has a marvelous, you know, sort of fairy tale plot as well. So you know, it, it, it's and, and he just looks such a lovely dog. It's no wonder that the you know the crowds the crowds um, they'd yell their heads off for him. Everyone shouted Mick Mick Mick. It was only Mick they wanted to win.
2: <laughs> How did he do it, Stud Charlie? Did he have a, uh, a stamp on the breed?
3: I'm afraid, like so many of the best racing dogs, he he was a bit of a disappointment. But he still managed to get a, a, a classic winner um, and not, not, of, not of the Derby but he managed to to, to um, breed a, a winner of the St. Ledger called Greta's Rosary but then as he'd been mated to a winner of the Derby and he was known as Greta Rani I, I mean I think we, we were entitled to expect something special and to be fair enough we got it but no, he, he, he wasn't successful at start as he was on the race course.
2: Yeah. Very good. All right, uh, Gary, let's go back over to you. All
4: right. Uh, my second uh, selection, which, again, I'm counting down, uh, so this would be my number four. Uh, Greyhound is a, a personal favorite of mine, and those that know me will be not in the least bit surprised that I've selected him. Um, uh, and I have tried to re- be really careful when reporting as a journalist over the years to not um, show my bias toward this greyhound. But uh, uh, his name is Westy Wizzer and he was whelped in early '60s, owned by George Nyhart, a farmer in Westmoreland, Kansas, and all of his greyhounds had the West Westy prefix from his home, uh, based on his hometown here in Westmoreland, Kansas. And he was raced by a very colorful guy, an old-timer named Swede Wilson. Uh, he is one of only six Greyhounds, Westy Wizard was, one of only six Greyhounds to uh, uh, make uh, the All-America team three consecutive years. And he was inducted in the Greyhound Hall of Fame in 1983. I was just a young lad in early high school when... Uh, I really started reading the the Greyhound racing record and saw where Westy Whizzer, a young pup out of New England, had won the North-South Match Series against the best Greyhounds out of Biscayne. Um, He was a sprinter, by and large. Uh, Like I mentioned, he competed over three years uh, of greatness. He was a track champion at uh, Palm Beach in the winter mile high in the summer in Taunton Greyhound Park in Massachusetts in the fall. He had a total of 107 career victories. I wouldn't say he was the fastest of, uh, of the Greyhounds in my, in my exclusive five, but uh, his longevity and his um, consistency at uh, winning so many races. And then after his uh, uh, fabulous racing career, he went on to be one of America's top sires, and his bloodline lives on through thousands of descendants uh, over the years. One of which I'll talk about a little bit later uh, in this program, John. So,
2: Westy Wizard. I seem Westy Wizard. I seem to remember Dennis McKeon speaking of him. Uh, I think he was running when uh, in the same time frame that Dennis was training, and Dennis would talk about how whenever Westy Wizard was drawn in for a race, the crowds would increase because everybody wanted to see if the Wizard would win that night. So yes, that's great. Uh, he he, was, it's it's he, great he when was, a dog will draw the crowds, just as Mick the Miller yes. did uh, in, at the White City. Well, Wizard didn't have the, the great personality that Mick
4: the Miller had. He was a bit shy um, and uh, inward. And... Uh, but the the fans loved him. He was just a, such a great racer. On his fourth birthday, they had a huge birthday party at uh, Taunton Greyhound Park in the, October of uh, 60, maybe it was 66. But uh, the fans just turned out in huge numbers, and he was paraded and after his race, uh, which he won, of course. Uh, he was given a little tiny piece of birthday cake. And uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I met Westy Wizard again at the Greyhound Farm in Abilene when I first moved here in the early 70s while he was standing at Stud, and uh, I took a very nice colored picture of the Greyhound that uh, has uh, since lived on and been recreated a number of times, but he was really a super Greyhound from a great litter, and his sire, uh tell you why, is pretty much unanimously agreed as the greatest sire to ever stand in America. And his mother, Kinto Nebo, was probably, uh, and but arguably, the greatest brood matron uh, ever in America, both of them Hall of Famers as well. So he had a great uh, legacy and background and also left quite a mark with his own legacy.
2: A classic example of what you get when you breed the best of the best. For sure. He he would be the poster child for that. Let's go over to you for your next pick.
3: Well, coincidentally, John, um, my next Greyhound is exactly pro- uh, produced exactly by putting the best of the best, because my second choice is a dog called Endless Gossip, who was um, whelped in 1950. And he was the result of mating two Greyhound Derby winners together, uh, Priceless Border and Narraga Anne. And the thing was that he turned out even better than his parents. Um, which doesn't always happen, of course, in greyhound and thoroughbred breeding. But Endless Gossip was an amazing dog. He won the Derby in 1952 in record time. His record for the finals stood for years and years and years. And he also won other classics like the Welsh Derby and the Laurels and uh, and other great races. But the extraordinary thing about him was that his owner, Ernie Goetscher, and his trainer, Leslie Reynolds, who um, trained six Greyhound Derby winners in all, they attempted to pull off a unique double, and that was they tried to win the Greyhound Derby in one year and the Waterloo Cup on the coursing field in the next. And Endless Gossip actually ran in the Waterloo Cup. He didn't win it but he ran very respectably. He got to the fourth round where he actually led to the first turn, as we coursing people say. In other words, he showed the better speed, but he was beaten um, by a, a, a cleverer dog than, than, than he was. Um, but the extraordinary thing was that Endless Gossip in a trial had actually run against a dog called Holystone Lifelong, who in that year won the Waterloo Cup. Um, and I met once um, a marvellous old character called Jim Coombs who had actually judged the trial between Endless Gossip and the eventual Waterloo Cup winner Holy Stone lifelong. And Endless Gossip proved too fast a Holy Stone lifelong in, in, in the trial. Um, so he was a remarkable dog, not only on the track, but also on the coursing field. And after that, he won a class at Crufts show as well, on the, on, on, on the show bench. And I know you're going to ask me, was he a success at stud? <laughs> and the, the answer is, yes, he was. Um, not only here in England, but later in life, he was exported to America, and he got a dog called Big Gossip, who I understand is in the Hall of Fame, and was an extremely successful sire in his own right. So, Endless gossip, he was a pretty remarkable greyhound um, in all sorts of areas.
2: That's amazing. I, I only wish that more racing greyhounds had been, had give, been given a chance uh, on the track and vice versa, because that's, that truly is a, the mark of a versatile greyhound that can win both on the oval and on the coursing field. Yes, surely. Gary, let's go back over to you
4: you know i just to follow up with charles uh in regard to uh, big gossip uh he raced here in the states in uh oh in, in the, the early mid 60s uh and he was a fantastic racer big gossip would just demolish fields at the at the best tracks and, and at that time they were in florida and he would uh win track championships uh he had a reputation of getting to the final of the stake and, and my theory is, was that he had run himself out in the qualifying round so much by winning by 8, 10, 12 lengths that he almost always seemed to get defeated in the final. Uh, but he, regardless of that, he was so uh, admired. Uh, he was uh, selected to the Greyhound Hall of Fame. But just one correction on what Charles said, it was not for his sire career because he was actually a flop here in the U.S. as a sire. But he was, for his racing, uh, strictly for his racing accomplishments, he was very worthily inducted into the Greyhound Hall of Fame. So the endless gossip line, uh, you find it here on occasion, very rarely through big gossip, though, but a few of his other offspring uh, that uh, have managed to carry on. Uh, So, moving on to third selection... Uh, John, I am picking a female, the only female that I'm going to uh, select here. And this, again, should come as no surprise to Americans that might be listening. Uh, and this would be the mid-1960s uh, Super Greyhound Miss Whirl. Um, she was owned by Ralph Ryan and raced in the Larry Hughes kennel. And she had it all. And she was a tiny little female, 54 pounds, and she could uh, be... Anybody, especially at 3 8 distances. In 1965, she did the unheard of thing by winning two Flagler International Classics because of the confusing dates at the tracks in those days. Flagler actually staged two classics that year, and Miss Wirral won them both. She had everything. She had longevity. She was a three time only All American. And on the fourth year, she was actually an honorable mention. And that's the only Greyhound to have ever accomplished that. She was versatile, run any distance. Uh, she was named uh, um, into the Greyhound Hall of Fame um, very easily, uh, virtually unanimously. She won 115 career races. She ran at a number of different tracks. Her home tracks were the Orlando, Tampa, Sarasota. That would be the central Florida area. Those were her home tracks. But she went on to race, like I said, in Flagler. She raced in Wonderland in a couple of match races between Wonderland and Flagler against a greyhound named L.L.'s Bilko and demolished him. Uh, Then she went on to be an outstanding producer in her own right. Uh, one of her pups, Axemaker, went on to be an All-American and champion greyhound. So Miss Whirl is uh, definitely an immortal uh, in the eyes of American uh, greyhound followers.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear the girls finally make it into the list here. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how they, um, they traveled, the extent to which they traveled back in those days, and that they ran in match races. I, I would really like to see match races. Brought back to um, to greyhound racing, particularly here in the U.S.
4: Yes, they're very exciting, and uh, we miss them too, John. You bet.
3: They were a great feature of greyhound racing in, in the UK over um, in, in the early days, and, and sadly, that they've they've gone. They don't seem to have them any longer. I think they're really exciting, wonderful, wonderful
2: things. Match races. Yeah, they can really add, Hi. I think, to the the sports fans' uh, enjoyment of it. But I hear the squeaky, and I think Kathy's going to take us to our mid-show break.
1: Yes, you did, and yes, I am. We will be back with part two of Greyhounds Make Great Pets in just a little bit, but we are going to turn ourselves out and be right back after some commercials.
0: Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited! Crimes Against Humanity. Host, Opal Singleton, and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs) and find your frequency live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: The GPA. Greyhound Pets of America. We're talking cool.
0: it on my best? Come and see us at the GPA. Come on
1: down to the GPA. Call 800-366-1472 or contact GreyhoundPets.org.
0: Listening to Greyhounds Make Great Pets with Rory, TJ, and Kathy. To find out more about the show and what we do, please send an email to gmgp3 at yahoo.com. That's gmgp3 at yahoo.com. Now, back to Greyhounds Make Great Pets.
1: And we are back today. Our resident guest host, John Parker, is in the captain's chair interviewing our guest, Charlie Blanning from the UK and Gary Guccione live from Abilene, Kansas. John, take it away.
2: Thanks, Kathy. All right, we were uh, uh, we were about at our halfway point with um, Gary's pick uh, number three, Miss Whirl. So, uh, Charlie, let's throw it over to you and your next pick.
3: John, my my, my third choice um, is a dog called Pigal Wonder, and um, he he was. Whelped in March 1956, and when he was barely you know old enough to race, he caused an absolute sensation in Ireland where he was born and bred uh, by winning a, a, a major a competition called the McCalmont Cup on his debut, and then they took him to one of the Dublin tracks, Harold's Cross, and he broke the track record. Um, and at that point, of course, as you can imagine, uh, Tom Murphy, who had bred him, his phone started ringing and the man who rang loudest was someone called al burnett now al burnett owned a nightclub called the pigal in piccadilly in the the middle of the west end of london so when the dog came over um he al burnett renamed him called him pigal wonder and he proved the most sensational greyhound he won The 1958 Derby, he broke six-track records. Um, He won on every track you can imagine. Um, But (laughs) the thing was that his owner, Al Burnett, um, whom Jack Benny, would you imagine, once called the England's best comedian. I don't know what the competition was like at the time because Al's jokes were just about the corniest that you ever heard. Al was the most tremendous gambler. And uh, he used to go track racing in London four nights a week, and after he'd been to the track, then he'd go to his nightclub and um, perform there until, until dawn and then walk himself home. Um, he was, uh, as some people said, you know, the biggest gambler in London at the time. But Wonder, it is best for Al. Um, there's no, absolutely no doubt about that. They say that um, on his Derby win... But Albanet won a won a fortune, and it was all gone in three weeks. <laughs> 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 he gambled he it all away. Eagle Wonder then went back to Ireland to stand at stud, and he was tremendously successful. Um, he got two Irish Derby winners on the track, called Wonder Valley and Russian Gun, and Wonder Valley himself turned out to be an extremely successful sire. And he was also very good at uh, producing coursing dogs um, on on the Irish coursing field. And he got a very good dog called Tivoli Dreamer, who won the Ulster Cup. And they exported him to Australia. Now, Tivoli Dreamer there got a dog called Temley. And any number of great greyhounds of today, I only need to mention the name of Brett Lee, who was such a cracking dog in Australia a few years ago, they all descend directly from Tem Lee and Pigol Wonder. So he was the most, apart from being a a terrific dog on the track, he's also been amazingly influential over the intervening years.
2: That's amazing, uh, the way that these bloodlines traced through to the greats. I've got a couple of Brett Lee progeny here in my home, so um, that's, right, a, yes. that's a great history lesson to hear.
3: I think Gary will probably confirm that Tim Lee also has, has had his influence in, in the States as well.
4: Oh, absolutely, through Brett Lee, Trent Lee. Uh, yes, Tim Lee is anything Australian uh, from the last uh, 30 years that's come over here has had a ton of Tim Lee mm-hmm. Uh, it just everything goes back to him a multiple number of times uh, coming out of yep. Australia. The th- interesting thing, though, Charles, is that Pigalle. Wonder, uh, P- uh, and we've always pronounced it over here, Pigalle. I don't know why, right. but uh, it's it's nice to hear the actual <laughs> pronunciation. Um,
3: well, I think already it's Pigalle, too, as pronounced in France.
4: Ah, uh, Pigalle. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh
3: huh. Uh huh. And because Pigalle, Pigalle is it's, th- it's an area of Paris, isn't it?
4: Uh-huh. I think that's right. That's right. I think but that's we're used to, we, we're familiar with uh with Pagal Wonder too, because his bloodlines have uh, come over here. Interestingly though, it has not carried on through a uh, a paternal line, not through his sons or grandsons, but mostly through Pat Dalton stock um I think going back through Maythorn Pride and uh but other yeah. uh Irish Greyhounds that have had a huge influence on America carry his bloodline. So he really, truly is an international uh, hit as a sire. And I had at the beginning uh, correctly predicted, Charles, that two of your picks would be Mick the Miller and Pagow under. So, uh, I'm, well done. I'm glad
3: I got it right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know him well. <laughs> yes. well Gary, let's go Alan back on Lennox to you to uh, for your about next him. pick. Uh,
4: Mine, uh, John. Yes, go is ahead. Is uh, an old time greyhound. He was born a year before I was born, which uh, dates myself. And oh, he uh, is old then. He, he <laughs> is old, and he is one of the three original. Hall of Famers, uh, inducted when the Greyhound Hall of Fame first came into existence in 1963. All three were classic, famous, immortal racers, but this one's record always stood out to me, partly because of the, of the Greyhound's longevity, and his consistency, and his versatility. And that was the Greyhound real huntsman, owned by the famous Randall family, Gene Randall in particular, who was also a Hall of Famer. He, uh, at one point, a real huntsman had a 27-race win streak. And uh, the amazing thing about that is that that was over a year's uh, extension, and it was conducted at seven different racetracks. He won 12 different derbies and stake races, including two American derbies. Uh, I believe it was 1950, 1951. He had nine match races in his career, which, again, uh, harkens back to our desire to wish we could see more match races. They were much more prevalent back in the era of Real Huntsman. Nine match races he ran, and he won all nine of them. Wow. At one time, he held six track records, and the distances ranged from futurity, you know, roughly 27, 28 seconds, on up to the three-eighths mile distance, so... He was truly a, a an iron greyhound that could do it all, so much more class than everything else, and uh, uh, very worthy of being one of our first Hall of Fame und- inductees. Unfortunately, he died uh, early on in a tragic fire, uh, so he never really got the chance to uh, uh, become a successful sire, although there are a couple of pedigrees that we still on rare occasion, find his name in, but he was something else, and that was real huntsman.
2: That's great, uh, Gary. Just a historical note: when they had those match races in the day, were those almost <laughs> primarily or exclusively exhibition only, with no no wagering on them, or you could you wager on them as well? Uh, you could wager win wagering only was was uh,
4: the thing. And they had, and Charles uh, might agree with this happening in England. Whenever they were held, there was great publicity, and uh, the crowds were double and triple in size when people came out. And uh, generally, yeah, there was win wagering only. Yeah. Interesting. It was, it was, Interesting.
3: It was just the same over here. Um, Mick the Miller ran numbers of matches, and of course, it only needed a match at a track with Mick the Miller involved. And thousands and thousands would flock to see him, of course. Mm -hmm.
2: How did we let that pass? You know, it's just amazing that that that, uh, tradition was allowed to kind of pass into the history books. What a shame.
3: It's a shame. Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, uh, Charlie, let's go back to you then for your next pick. Yeah,
3: well, my fourth pick is the only dog perhaps who has approached Mick the Miller in terms of, um, you know, popularity. Um, with with people who perhaps are not that much involved in greyhound racing, and that was a dog called Bally Regan Bob, and he he came over from Ireland um, in the mid 1980s, and he was a, an immediate success. Um, but he 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 was a distance dog. Uh, mo- mo- most of most of the for the track heroes that people talk about over here dogs which are running over the equivalent of 525 yards or 550 yards. But Baller Bob was a stayer. He was a, a, a six-bend greyhound. But he managed to set up um, a consecutive win record of 32 races. And I'm not sure whether that's ever been beaten. He, he beat the record of an American dog called Joe Dump in, in doing so. And whether Bob's record has been beaten since? I'm not sure, but he did 32 wins in a row. Um, absolutely amazing greyhound. Um, and he was also, like Mick the Miller, a, a, a lovely dog. And to, 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 help, to help the popularity, he was owned by some lovely people called Cliff and Jesse Kevin, and trained by the wonderful George Curtis, Gentleman George. Um, George had started training when he was a um, a mere teenager at Portsmouth before the war. And um, he they always called him Gentleman George because he's such a nice man. And I'm pleased to report that George is still with us. And I think I read in the paper he's just celebrated his 93rd birthday.
2: Wow, that's um, great.
3: But Ballaregan Bob, he was the one that the masses flocked to see and cheer.
2: Um, a- uh, I actually, I actually met Bally Regan Bob one time, although sadly not in life. Um, he is uh, taxidermied, stuffed, if you will, uh, and he was on display at the Greyhound Millennium Celebration in Newmarket, England, in uh, 2000. Uh, probably the last one of those Greyhounds to follow that tradition, wasn't he, Charlie?
3: I think he probably is, yes. I mean, people aren't quite so, you know, um, okay with taxidermy these days, are they? But I, I can tell you he's uh, safe and well in the Natural History Museum in Hertfordshire. And with him, of course, um, he has Mick um, the Miller and also Bulletin, the great coursing dog. They're all yeah. there in hmm. the display together.
2: Yeah, well, it's it, yeah. and they they did amazing jobs. I mean, you feel like the dog is standing there now. Now they're they're there in front of you as older dogs because that's that's what they look like when they they passed away at a ripe old age, but uh it's that's a pretty right. amazing thing to see and I know it, it it creeps a lot of people out, but I think it's a I think it's a wonderful thing to preserve them in that way. But uh I, I don't that's think a personal
3: don't preference. About it, no.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Gary, let's uh, go back to you for your final pick. Well, uh,
4: interesting, uh, not to brag or anything, Charles, but I had Belly Reagan Bob picked in your group as well uh, as a, li- a likely choice, and uh, he was quite amazing. I had the opportunity to meet George when I was over there one time, and uh, I never got to see uh, Bally Reagan uh Actually raised, but some of his greyhound or some of his bloodlines are active still over here in America. Uh, If I might uh, proceed, my final pick, uh, John, and just uh, give take about ten seconds and give you the names of my honorable mentions that didn't quite make my top five. They likely would be on a lot of people's top five, but it would be talented. Mister Ripley, a great uh, Saint Petersburg greyhound in the Hall of Fame. In fact, all of these Greyhounds I'm going to mention are in our Greyhound Hall of Fame. Rooster Cogburn, uh, E.J.'s Douglas, the only two, well no, he was the second two-time Rural Rube Award winner here in America, and he raced in the, uh, early 90s when, uh, uh, the gene pool was as big as it ever was in this country, and the racing was just magnificent. And he stood out. The great Case Flack, who I believe, if he, when he was healthy, there couldn't be anything that could touch him. But he wasn't always healthy. But still, an amazing greyhound and an amazing sire. LL's Doug from from Caliente, who raced won 128 career races, and late in life was finally taken out of that track, Caliente, and raced in Wonderland and Biscayne and captured a uh, a big stake at the Irish-American, was second in the Wonderland Derby. He was a super greyhound. And the last three would be Dutch Bahama and Perceive, who were both inducted into the Hall of Fame on the same night. And the 1925 uh, great traffic officer who uh, was the... uh, foundation sire for for many of our uh, greyhounds in modern days. But now, to my number one greyhound, and this should surprise no one I would expect, is, uh, and this was a grandson of Westy Wizard, by the way, and his name was Downing. And Downing, Downing. Uh, raced in the 1977-78 uh, uh, era. Uh, he was owned by uh, White Shadows Kennel and Jim Frey, and uh, he started out by winning the Hollywood Futurity and the uh, 1977 in Hollywood World Classic Against America's Best Sprinters, and it was only like his eighth or ninth or seventh career start that he did that in. Went on to win the Biscayne Irish American that year, the Wonderland Battle of the Ages. Uh, Jim Frey sent him up to a, uh, a small track as a favor to an old friend that ran that track in the Black Hills of South Dakota, And then they sent Downing to Taunton to compete in a distance race, stake race, the American Derby. And he was of such class that running three-eighths, which was not his forte, he broke the track record and ended up winning the American Derby. I don't know any Greyhound that's ever had any better year than Downing had in 1977. He was the uh, subject of national publicity in Sports Illustrated, uh, national television. His only shortcoming is that he... He was injured uh, in his second year of racing and was never the same and soon retired to stud, which he became as prolific as, uh, as his grandfather, Westy Whizzer, was, um, and uh, they have really, really left quite a mark on our breed.
2: Yeah, yeah. he was an amazing dog, and I, I've, I've had a few of his progeny here in my home as well. He's, he had a remarkable uh, effect on the American segment of the greyhound breed for sure. Yes. Charlie, over to you.
3: Well, my final pick, John, which brings me you know, much closer up to date, is the only Greyhound Derby winner that I've ever held on the end of the lead. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that's, that's Westmead Hawk. Um, Westmead Hawk won the Greyhound Derby two years running in 2005 and 2006. And the reason why. I had happened to be on the other end of the lead from him once, was that the first major competition he ran in was the Greyhound Studbook Trophy at Monmore um, in Wolverhampton, and uh, a race which we sponsored. Um, so we were there, uh, the, the, you know, the members of the National Coursing Club to present the trophy. And uh, the handler of West Leeds Walk, when he won that, it was the first big race that he won, was so busy... Uh, trying to receive the trophy, I said, that's all right, I'll hang on to the dog for you. So unbeknown then, of course, because he hadn't got to the derby by then, there I was holding the next greyhound derby winner. Perhaps um, I should have walked off with of it. But he was the most marvellous dog. And there again, he thrilled the crowds because although if you ask me what sort of greyhound I would like to own myself, it's a dog with plenty of early pace, Westmead Hawk always came from behind. Um, he was not a fast dog to the first bend and sometimes he got himself into the most appalling scrapes. Um, and you would look at the race and think, he cannot possibly win. And then he was a black dog and then he would start to come and come and come and there he would be on the line. Um, he was an amazing greyhound and a great crowd pleaser as well. Um, and, and fortunately, and this isn't always the case, when he went stud um, in Ireland, he was extremely successful. Um, he got two winners of the Greyhound Derby himself, Taylor Sky in 2011 and Fidass Jack in 2013, and I think they're, they're still using him, you know, from frozen semen, because sadly, of course, the Great Prince is not with us any longer, um, he's yeah. not
2: on his way. So Sounds a, like a, a dog a great with question. great track craft to be able to pull out the uh, the victory from uh, the jaws of defeat, oh, so to speak.
3: Yeah, amazing, and of course with so much uh, and such enormous courage as well. I mean, yes, he was, a, he was a dog that would have you reaching for your handkerchief. Um, he was a dog that you know really, you know, re- really pulled the tears.
2: Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, have a discussion here at this point and gary you're going to go first this is we've been talking about match races and how exciting they were and how we lament their passing so uh charlie i'm gonna i mean gary i'm gonna ask you to pick of your five and uh uh, you'll you'll pick a little bit in the blind but if they were to race against one of charlie's five which of your american greyhounds would you pick for that match race (laughs) well most of my uh, five picks that we've talked
4: about today were uh, based mostly on their uh, success in eight-dog races. But, uh, uh, and oddly enough, the, uh, the greyhound that I would pick among uh, anyone else uh, would be a greyhound that was not my top five, but it would be that Case Flack, who I re- alluded to earlier. That, a, a very sound Case Flack. I, I really truly believe he was an unbeatable greyhound when, when he was sound. But of the five that I picked... My goodness, I would say Pease Rambling. Okay. I would say Pease Rambling because he was just so powerful, in, uh, and he had some early speed, but he was kind of like Westmead Hawk. He, would, he could come from behind, and two-dog races certainly favors the greyhound that has the uh, stamina at the end um, because they're never too far behind that lead, you know, lead pace setter.
2: So I, yes. I would
4: think I, I might pick Pease Rambling.
2: Excellent. All right. Well, Charlie, now you've got your uh, opponent for a match race. Who uh, would you pick to, to, uh, to match in with Pease Rambling among your five?
3: Well, I think if I was going to try and pick the fastest of my five, the dog which had the most natural speed, then I'd have to go for P. Wonder, Um And I would hope that he would be out of the box and up to the bend before Gary's selection even knew the race was on. And I'm sure, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they'd be catching you know, him all the time as they went to the line. But P. Galvander was a real flyer. I mean, that was a dog with pace to burn.
2: Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could, uh, you know, <clears throat> pick those dogs out of history and have them race for us today? Well,
3: I have to say I'm so glad that Garriott mentioned Traffic Officer because, um, you know, I, as you know, I, I, I've been looking a bit into the history of American greyhound racing, and Traffic Officer has always stood out to me as one of the great stars of, 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 of vintage greyhound racing. Uh, not least because, of course, he was a big winner on the coursing field before they put him on the track.
2: Yes,
4: yes. Yeah, interesting well, thing about Traffic Officer Charlie was the fact that he was such a big greyhound, kind of like your New Down, or New Down Heather was so big. He, he, yep, he dwarfed yep. the greyhounds he raced against, and he was often, uh, victorious, but Paul Hartwell, an old timer, he's, uh, just celebrated his 93rd or 4th, 5th or birthday. He told me one time that when he saw traffic officer race, it looked like a, a mother goose with her little offspring trailing behind because he was always in the lead and he was always so much bigger than they were.
3: I must remember that.
2: Yeah. Well, well done to both of you for getting through. I, I always worry in these shows we have so much to talk about, and... Uh, we almost never seem to completely finish, but we have and that's up to that's down to the two of you to to uh, be concise and precise in your in your descriptions but we do have just a little bit of time left and so I wanted to kind of touch on some breaking news and, and get Gary's take uh, we just learned yesterday that the Southland track which is probably the best track in the u s uh, is uh going to phase out its live racing over a three year period ending in 2022 uh and so Gary I wanted to get your take on what you thought was the uh is the likely uh, effect on American racing of that announcement
4: well we knew it was something was coming because uh a couple of weeks ago uh or a few weeks ago the kennel operators were called in and signed non-disclosure agreements that they wouldn't reveal the uh uh the news from that meeting at all and they have all held to that and uh but whenever there's a non-disclosure agreement, it's usually not good news. So we were somewhat prepared and uh, many were predicting it was going to be something like this, a three, a two, three, four, five year, whatever it would be. And uh, three seemed to be the more popular uh, number among those of us here at the, at the fall Greyhound meet in Abilene. So when it, uh, the news came out, it was still devastating to hear because you're right. Southland is our premier racetrack by far. And, uh, uh, and, and it, it was quite a stunned audience at the Hall of Fame ceremonies last night but uh, uh, men like Jimmy, Jimmy Gartland who's now the director of the NGA said you know we just need to move forward and fight uh, the best we can explore all the pos- possible uh, alternatives and avenues of opportunity that will be out there and, and uh, turn uh, the challenge into an opportunity and and uh, I just came from the uh, business meeting that was being held, and I left uh, before it was completed. And there was a lot of discussion on that. But you know, greyhound uh, people from going back to the 20s and probably before that have always been known for their hardiness and and uh, willingness and ability to pick themselves up and dust themselves off, and as the song would say, start all over again. And and uh, yeah. I think that's what you'll see happen. Uh, it's been a great fall meet, a lot of people here in town, some great pups And in, in the tradition of these events twice a year. And uh, uh, there will be another meet in, this, in next spring and next fall, and uh, we'll just uh, see what happens. But I have confidence that there will be some uh, new developments for the greyhound people in the uh, days and years ahead.
1: Fingers crossed, and we have to leave it right
2: there. We're at the end of the show. Kathy, I'll turn it back to you.
1: All righty. well Gary and Charlie Thank you so much, learned a ton Of stuff, and I'm going to go to Greyhound Data now and see who's in my Greyhound's background. John, thank you As always for taking the lead when Rory and I have other things To do. We will though be back Next Friday on Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Thank you all for listening And hug those hounds Of the world oh!
0: Thank you for listening this week to Greyhounds Make Great Pets. Please join your hosts, Rory Goree, TJ Beter, and Kathy Goree for another edition of our program next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a wonderful week.